So it's really great to have you with us, Scotty. And, um, you know, I know IPC folks will be really delighted that uh, we've snuck you into our retreat at the last minute. I'm so delighted too. So I wanted to welcome you into the conversation to help us to think about matters of justice and maybe particularly uh, with race. And um, I'm excited to learn from you. I know that our people are as well. Uh, tell me a little bit about, about like, um, why you said yes to this other than you felt maybe like you owe it to your old church or to, to, you, to me as your friend. <laughs> um, so as you know, George Floyd was killed and also Mott Arbery, Breonna Taylor. And then we saw something that never happened before globally. Mm. There was this conversation about race. There were protests going on even in India. Yeah, incredible. And you know, and um, and last year, as all this was going on, I get a call from some youth who they're they're not believers, they're not members, they don't go to my church, um, and they said to me, they're like, you know, what is the church doing? What does the church have to say about this? And so we put on this event called Let's Talk About Race, organized it within one day. Um, also, I was invited to two radio shows as well, all on the same day, excuse me. And it was quite an interesting discussion. We, there were older Swiss and then younger Swiss, and the younger Swiss had a totally different view of race in Switzerland. The older Swiss didn't see race as an issue, that sort of thing. Um, and it was very helpful. And we got a request to have a second Let's Talk About Race gathering which we did yes um and also with the course that i'm taking uh, that, that i'm teaching at um Bos in, at the university of basel when when somebody says to you come on is race really that big of an issue aren't aren't we all capable of just you know getting along despite our differences let's not make this into such a big deal uh, what is what does your heart say back to that uh that's what my heart says. Um, generally, people who say that, you know, are, are white brothers and sisters, you know, and and it's because white folks don't have to live with the reality of race in the way that people of color do, especially black, you know, black people. The older Swiss people, they live in communities that are homogenous, that you know, and so everyone's the same. The only difference is that somebody in their community might be from another canton or God forbid, another village. And so, and so they never have to really live with the reality of race, um, many of them. And so then they say, well, I don't see, see the issue. Um, but for a person of color, you know, we constantly live with the reality of race. Um. Let's see, about two years ago, uh, one of my black brothers in the States said that a black man in America lives with a almost constant feeling of rage, sometimes more, sometimes less, but almost, you might say, chronic rage. Um, two years down the road and all that has happened, I think I'm a little bit closer to imagining what that might be like. I wonder if you have anything to say about that, uh, that comment and does it resonate with you? When black 
children reach a certain age, usually six years old, they become aware of the reality of race. They have their first negative experience. And usually, and it happens in Switzerland too, you know, and, and I hear it from parents and it usually starts with that first birthday party and they're not invited to it. And they ask and then they get the real reason that this family doesn't like your kind, people like you. And so around six years old, a lot of black children become aware that their skin color is a problem to some people. And then parents have to have what we call the talk about the talk. race with our kids. And, you know, and so you're dealing with this negative reality from, you know, and you're aware of it from the age of six. And you're just trying to live your life. You're not asking for trouble. And you see this reality present in so many, many things. You see this problem. And it, it, it doesn't matter how much you follow the rules, how you know, good you are, how good of an impression you make, you still have to deal with it. Like I was on the bus and I was on the phone with Maria. And then all of a sudden this lady gets on the bus sits in a seat across from me and then says, hey, um, you. And I look up and she's got a can of mace. Wow. And she's ready to use it. And there's this fear and I'm like, lady, I don't even know you. You see the collar that I'm wearing. I, I didn't I'm, even I'm protect clergy. you. It, it, does, it doesn't protect you. And I'm like, you see that I'm, I'm clergy you're, you're doing this? What's going on? And no one said anything on the bus. The driver didn't say anything. It kept going on and on and on for, you know, about, you know, six minutes. And then finally, a mother with two kids sitting across spoke up and says, hey, sir, come sit next, with us, next to us. Wow. And then she starts letting this lady have it. I get off the bus. And then this lady with the mace gets off the bus. And I'm like, what's gonna happen to me? And so I ran to the church and locked myself in the church. Another Sunday on the way to church, two old ladies get on the bus and, and she doesn't know that I can speak Swiss German. Mm -hmm. She starts saying things. And again, I'm wearing my collar. The next stop, her friend gets on the bus. And both of these ladies, you know, are saying things, you know, and I'm just sitting there just being quiet and I'm waiting for them. I'm just like, Lord, please let them get out at the stop before I go to church, please, you know, so I can just de-escalate, you know, calm down. But they get out at the same stop I do and surprise, surprise, head into the same church that I do. Good grief. And they're in a service that I'm leading. And so it's a very awkward moment when I'm giving the greeting, the Gnada Unsiris and Jesus Christus, and they're just, yep, I understood everything. Oh. And probably over a thousand experiences that I've had since I was six years old and got the talk from my grandparents. 
after a friend told me he could no longer play with me because he's white and I'm black. Um, and it just happens. And every time you try to share it with somebody, they say, well, maybe that's just your perception. I've been through this time and time again, enough times to know when it is what it is. And so, and so these, these folks that um, they will disregard your, your personal experience and the experience of your people, and then they will tell you, well, you need to deal psychologically with whatever is bothering you. And they push it back yep. on you. Yeah. So that explains yep. my, my brother's comment. Uh, yeah. So what gives you, uh, Chris, how can you have Christian hope in the face of such um, un, unrelenting uh, othering by people? You learn there are things from our ancestors, traditions that they passed along to cope with that anger. So there's a tradition we call moaning and groaning. If you ever go to a black church and they're just humming, that's a way you, you deal with it. And, and, and within those traditions that, you know, that's where I find hope. That's how I cope with, with, that, re, with that reality. Um, another thing is that we immerse our children in love. Mm. We we want our children to know, um, you know, always remember someone at some point in time loved loved you, loves you, and it's it, it's that love as well that, that gives us hope, and then also. Christ went through an othering in his life. Mm -hmm. So, and Jesus' siblings even constantly othered him. He was unusual. And so what gives me hope is I look at Jesus and say, well, Jesus understands mm -hmm. being other. And so then looking to Christ, I also find hope because Christ is, you know, has went through what I've, what I've went through. And then I started reading the works of like Olada Equino. He was an Igbo man, um, was enslaved, um, brought to the United States, and then ended up going to England and settling there. And he wrote his, his biography. And what you notice, he does this. Frederick Douglass does this. Harriet Tubman does this. Nat Turner, the great rebel, does this. All of the forefathers and foremothers who were enslaved, they made a distinction between slave owner religion and Christianity. Mm. And you see, wow, by the grace of God, it's nothing but grace that they were able to make that distinction and say, you know, no, this isn't Christianity at all. This is, this is a, 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 you know, this is a perversion of it. Yes. But here's the religion of Jesus. And in the course that I'm teaching now, I've been helping my students to understand that, having them read a lot of Frederick Douglass and things like that and the message. Let me ask you this, Scotty, um, to bring it sort of to a practical point here. How, do, how does a church like ours seek to, or how does a pastor like me seek to kind of unwarp 
things, right? How, how do we bring repair where there has been warping? And um, how do we foster as an international community in Switzerland, um, how do we foster something of a sign of healing and restoration and liberty in the face of our history and in the face of the contemporary injustices that continue to occur even all around us and a lot of times without our awareness because of our cultural blinders i think first we got to define what justice is justice you know i found for a lot of white brothers and sisters they think justice means um admitting guilt for slavery they think justice means reparations all of that that's not justice Th that might be acts within justice but what justice is is as cornell west would say it's what love looks like in public amen and then let's define what love is love is and i'm gonna quote cornell west again and people at IPC noticed because I said this all the time when I was there, love is a steadfast commitment to the well-being of others. Mm. And so how can I show that commitment in public to people of color? The, the first way, the most basic way is just to listen and not dismiss their pain. You know, there's been moments where I've presented this rage presented my experience and then it's not heard it's dismissed i you know you hear well statistically speaking you know or allow me to play devil's advocate yeah or well i don't see it that way and that's that's not loving right if someone comes to you with an experience of pain then you are, and especially if they're a brother, sister in Christ, you know, and when they're in Christ, you have a familial obligation Amen. to listen to them, to listen to them as if they were your own blood brother or sister, your own blood kin. And, and so, and if you want to care for the well-being of people of color, the first thing is listen to them and don't dismiss their pain. Another thing is in situations where racism happens in the church, mm -hmm. he, you know, um, again, you know, like, like if, if it were a case of sexual harassment, the first thing that we as pastors would do is we would go to the person who is, who's been committing the act and say something. We would get to the bottom of it. We have to treat issues of race in the church the same way. Mm. One thing that, that you can do is really be intentional in showing the contributions of people of color to the mm. faith. Mm. Show that the faith is more than Europe. And also, but tell intentionally tell the stories of people of color and how God used them. You know, another practical is don't be colorblind. Mm. Um, and people mean well when they say it, they'll say, when I look at you, I don't see a black man. I mm. see my brother in Christ. And I say, that's degrading, yeah. insulting, and dishonoring to God. Because there's nothing wrong with this. That's right. And 
I'm proud of this, you know, of my skin color. I'm proud to be a black man. And, and to say as well, being black also affects, there's certain, um, you know, effects that it has on my experience as a human being. So, and it's not just that there's negative parts of being black, there are so many positive experiences as well. And so to say, this is a part of my created humanity, a part of my human experience. Mm -hmm. The same with the Asian brother and sister, the same with, with Hispanic, Middle Eastern, their color is a part of their experience and it's a gift of God. Yeah. And it's not all bad. It's a wonderful experience. It's wonderful to be black. Yeah. And so see color mm-hmm. and give thanks Celebrate to God. It. Amen. I, um, on my Twitter feed, a black brother um, just tweeted out the other day. He said, how about some pictures of black joy? And then all the yep. replies to his, to his tweet were just all these videos and pictures of black brothers and sisters experiencing the joy, first of all, the joy of just being alive and being human, and then the joy of being black. And it radiates from their faces. And it was the, probably the coolest Twitter thread that I've seen in, in a year. And um, there's something prophetic and defiant, I think, about black joy in the face yeah. of, of the suffering that uh, black folks have, have experienced, would you say? Yeah, when you talked about hope, that's another thing that gives that hope is that, that joy. What helps me to cope with, I'll share the secret. My people might be mad at me for sharing my secret. <laughs> but people, mm-hmm. we have this thing called the nod. And, and it used to freak Maria out because everywhere we would go, I walk by a black person, they'd be like this or like this. And I would nod back and Marie be like, how do you know these people? I'm like, I don't know them. And she's like, well, why are you nodding to them? And I'm like, because we're acknowledging each other. There's this universal camaraderie um, that we have. Or another thing is for black men, whenever I'm going to a new city, even on vacation, the first thing I look for is a black barbershop. Nice. And, 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 and then I go to that place and, you know, and, and it's almost like an oasis mm. in a way, because, and it's, it's refreshing and there's joy there. Joy is this for black folks. Um, Van Jones says it best. He says, you know, happiness to saying hallelujah when things are good. Joy in the black American tradition is saying hallelujah anyhow. Mm. and 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 it's it's and and this is what we teach our children is we teach them to say you can always praise god say hallelujah no matter what you face even even the even the the greatest cruelty when i read the biographies of 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 my forefathers and foremothers of the slaves they went through atrocities that I will never experience. And then I look at their experience and still see they were able to say hallelujah anyhow. Mm. They were able to find joy. I think of my great-great-grandparents who were slaves. You know, my great-great-grandparents, you know, that's how, very close. Not that long ago, that's right. Not that long ago. And, and, and the stories I hear of them and 
and how they were just joyful people. And I'm like, if they could find joy dealing with this lifelong reality, mm -hmm. that gives me that that gives me hope. If they can make it, then I can make it. Mm -hmm. And so, so yeah. It makes me think of the the Psalms, Scotty, where if you add up the number of lament psalms, they're more numerous than the Hallelujah Psalms. And yet yep. the trajectory of the Psalter is toward never-ending hallelujahs, yeah? Yes. Uh, and that feels resonant with what you're, you're talking about uh, in your experience. I got to tell you that um, I loved going to Egypt with you and I loved getting to be around your black joy <laughs> in Africa as you learned and yeah. experienced things, as you taught us things uh, as well. And, um, you know, you embody, you embody Christian joy and, and black joy in such a way that it makes it a joy for me to be a learner and to come alongside of you and to take joy in your joy. So I feel like I feel like you are a person who welcomes somebody like me uh, into a unique joy that you have. And so I want to thank you for that hospitality. Um, oh, you appreciate yeah, it. Th thank you. You know, and 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 um, yeah. I mean, and that's the thing about black joy is it's not an exclusive joy. Mm we have you know because we've been excluded you know and so we try our best to be inclusive it's beautiful i mean the the parallels with the redemption in christ are undeniable in everything that you're talking about and i'm so glad that you are a black pastor in switzerland i'm so glad that you pastored the church that i get to pastor now and it's just a joy to have you in this conversation. Thank you for your time, your expertise, for sharing your heart and your burdens and also your joy with us. I think we're all learning a lot now. I wish we had a couple more hours, but perhaps in the future. Yeah. Definitely.